I regret that I neglected to say it in the early service, but if you don't have power still, and I know there are some, I know the choir's here and having lunch. Please join them. If we run out of food, I'll order something in. Um, Feel free to make yourself comfortable in the conference room or use my office for the afternoon. Stick around for the bylaws. If you still have no power after that, we'll we'll sort it out. Uh, I'm acutely aware of that. We were fortunate. We I only had to grill breakfast once in this experience. But um, but no, seriously, if you're out of power, please be warm here. Cooking and cleaning a kitchen for decades might seem to you like a really unlikely way to influence the spiritual formation of Christians for centuries. And yet that's exactly how one 17th century French army veteran impacted God's kingdom. A soldier who was transformed by his recognition of God's grace and sovereignty, Nicholas Herman retired from the army and entered a monastery in Paris where he became forever known as Brother Lawrence. He was assigned kitchen duty. Brother Lawrence, while he did kitchen duty, developed this extraordinary ability to worship God and experience his greatness and his presence amidst the humblest of chores. By 1666, his unusual wisdom came to the attention of hires up in the church who who actually sent people to interview him to understand how he had such wisdom for a relatively uneducated kitchen monk. These interviews became the basis of a short book known as The Practice of the Presence of God, and it remains popular to this day. And while he was doing what sounds like just endlessly unpleasant and repetitive and humble work, Brother Lawrence experienced the majesty of God. And he explained it this way. He says, nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him. And that done, if there's nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterward, I rise happier than a king. It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. And this humble, God-focused attitude is something that is just completely alien to modern American culture, even modern American church culture, which is still very much driven by, well, the guy standing up front. Um, But nonetheless, it is at the heart of one of the most remarkable events that took place during the week that changed the world, the, the, the week that culminated in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It came as Jesus and his disciples were enjoying their final meal together on Thursday night, and it seems they had a problem. There was nobody there of sufficiently low social status to wash everybody's grimy feet. And so Jesus did it for them. It's described for us in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As Jesus washed the dirty feet of a dozen men who had been walking in sandals for miles that day, we know this from Scripture, Jesus is simultaneously teaching at a very literal level of doing a disgusting job that nobody wanted to do but needed to be done. And he is teaching at a spiritual level as he is giving insight into the very nature of salvation and our ongoing need for forgiveness. And we are going to be considering both of those levels today, but we will begin at the beginning of this passage by just observing the humble service of the king. In ancient Israel, washing feet was a disgusting job. You see, all day long, men and women would walk around in this dry and arid land in their sandals on the the dusty roads and across the dirty countryside, and you can only imagine what would happen to their feet. Cleaning this mess off was so gross that you were not even supposed to ask a Jewish servant or slave to do it for you. It was reserved only for the foreign servants or slaves. Now, peers could choose to wash each other's feet. It was a voluntary thing, but you would never see a master or teacher wash the feet of the disciples. And yet, nonetheless, here we have Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Kings, dressing himself like a servant, right? That's when it describes him stripping off and putting the the towel around his waist. He is dressing like a servant now, and he gets to work. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, we hear this and we say, wow, what a great Savior, what a great leader. Right? There's tons of leadership books that tell you how to be a leader like Jesus and you wash people's feet in a figurative way. But we lose in our culture the shock value of what just happened. Right? This is so unbelievably, mind-warpingly shocking. This, we get a little sense of this by Peter's intense reaction in verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm, do- going, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Once again, Peter is 
trying his best to protect the dignity of Jesus. He knows this is so far beneath him, he can't possibly accept this kind of service from, from Jesus. And yet, once again, as is so often the case, Peter completely misunderstands the situation. He particularly misunderstands why it is that Jesus could do this humble and humiliating task. Because he was God. See, Jesus humbled himself because he had all authority. The scripture is making that very clear, that we do not understand this in isolation as just an act of of service, that we understand first and foremost it is an act of service that flows from the authority of Jesus Christ. He knew who he was. He knew he was about to die. He knew he was about to be glorified on the cross. And he loved his disciples deeply, even Judas, who was about to betray him. Right, verse 1 explains to us, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The scripture is making clear, Jesus knew he had all authority, he knew he was from God, he knew he was going to God. This is why he did this task. Listen again carefully to the words of verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper. Because Jesus was so completely confident in his identity, his authority, and his destiny, he could do the work of a Gentile slave. He could wash two dozen dirty feet, even the feet of the man who was about to betray him later that night. Because of the tremendous power and authority and destiny of Jesus Christ, he could freely and comfortably humble himself. It was not a threat to his self-identity as we tend to view when we are asked or considered to do something that is beneath us. What we see here as he humbles himself first on Thursday night with the washing of the feet and then on Friday the death on a cross, we see this humility of Jesus that flows out of his authority And we need to realize that this is authority to which we have access and that needs to alter our view of things. Because one of the extraordinary truths of our faith that we need to embrace, truly embrace, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, is that for those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are operating under the authority of Jesus Christ, with the authority of Jesus Christ, and therefore we should be able to humble ourselves just like Jesus Christ. This is a really hard truth for us to embrace because our culture hates humility. Right? We love fake humility in America. Oh, I'm terrible at that. No, you're not. You're awesome. Right? That's the humility we like, the fake stuff where you're fishing for a compliment. We don't really appreciate the real thing when we see it. All of the systems and and structures that we put in place in schools and in the workplace are, are not about rewarding humility. Instead, we incentivize people to look out for number one and to promote themselves shamelessly. That's the only way to get ahead. And so even as Christians, we're left instinctively bristling at the idea of humbling ourselves like Jesus did. But we need to get over our culture. We need to get over what our culture says to us. And instead, we need to truly understand who we are in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.6 explains that we reign with Christ already, regardless of our circumstances, and, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's a present tense. 
1 Corinthians 6.19 reminds us, every believer is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? And Jesus assured us that as we faithfully serve His great commission, that He is present with us every single day. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, our reality as believers in Jesus Christ, no matter what our external circumstances are, is that we are seated with the King, we are accompanied by the King everywhere we go, and we are inhabited by the Spirit of the King every moment of every day. And so therefore, we can humble ourselves just as Jesus Christ did that Thursday night. That there is no act of service to one another that is beneath us. That there is no act of service for the kingdom of God that we are too good or too important to do. That regardless of our education and our accomplishments, our wealth, our status, our power, that in the service of God's kingdom, we are so blessed, so loved, and so empowered that we can do even the lowliest of jobs for the love of God. As Brother Lawrence said, it is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. And as Paul explains it in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The centerpiece of this event that we have reading about and talking about is this remarkable washing of two dozen dirty feet by the anointed Son of God. As Jesus went around the room, he came to Peter, who did not want him to wash his feet. And it is during the exchange between these two that we learn that there was more about this foot washing than simply humility and clean feet. That in fact, this washing is a symbol illustrating the washing of the Savior. You see, in the face of Peter's resistance, Jesus says in verse 9, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward. And we should understand, afterwards means after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Peter receives the Holy Spirit and can comprehend. He says, you will understand. And so we need to know there is more to this event than meets the eye. It isn't just about smelly feet. Because Jesus goes on to explain, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. No participation in the life of Christ. The washing of Christ apparently is essential for membership in Christ. This is what Jesus says here. So what he is saying, the point he is making is that once the disciples are capable of understanding it all, that in order to have a relationship with God, we must be washed by Jesus Christ. This is something that's necessary because every single person in the world is filthy by nature. Right? We have each had moments that we have been ashamed of. Times where we have hurt people or where we have been hurt. Times where we have said terrible things or thought terrible things or seen terrible things or done terrible things. There have likely been moments too where we have stood by and watched something terrible happen but did nothing to stop it. Perhaps we even cheered and applauded someone else's misery and discomfort. Some of those moments were brutal. 
As we replay them in our lives, others we realize are pathetic, but they were all terribly short of God's standard of right behavior. And the reality is that we have fallen down over and over again. Right, Even when we try really hard, we say, this time it is going to be different. I'm going to do everything right this time. I'm going to work really, really hard. I'm going to change everything. We try really hard to stop doing the bad things. Then we say, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better wife. I'm going to be a better mother or father or son or daughter or friend or neighbor. Eventually we mess up again, don't we? This is the filth of our human nature, and we cannot clean it up ourselves, no matter how hard we try. And believe me, we try hard. Regardless of how many times we apologize and we promise to change, or we say, okay, we're going to go to church every Sunday, or, or we just try to fix ourselves, whenever we are just trying to fix ourselves, we will inevitably mess up again. We will inevitably fall back into our old patterns, and the only difference will be this time we're angrier and more embarrassed and more frustrated and more ashamed. Does any of this sound familiar in your life? Well, here at the Last Supper, Jesus demonstrates that the only way out of this filth that we cover ourselves in is to be washed by Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that we cannot. He met the standard of God that we cannot. Jesus never sinned. He never messed up. He never fell short of the mark. And because He was the eternal Son of God, because He lived the life we could not, Jesus was able to go to the cross to die, to be the innocent blood sacrifice needed to pay the penalty for all the sin and the mess that we've gotten ourselves into. Rather than water, what Scripture tells us is that we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ when we put our faith in Him and embrace Him as Lord and Savior. 1 John 1.7 proclaims, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Note that all sin, every last one of them, no matter how horrible or shameful or disgusting or disgraceful or cruel or pathetic or seemingly unforgivable, every sin is cleansed by Jesus Christ without exception. And what this means is that when Jesus says in verse 10, right, this is the point he is making in verses 10 and 11, when he says that his disciples... The you here is a plural, it's y'all. Y'all are clean, except for Judas. Because they've trusted in Him as their Lord and Savior and have given their lives over to Him. They've already had cleansing, saving faith. That's why the ever-enthusiastic Peter didn't need Jesus to wash his hands and his head. But they still needed their feet washed. And this is an important lesson for us to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. Because as he was washing away the the daily grind that's picked up by the disciples as they were otherwise clean, but they were just walking through stuff and it got on their feet, Jesus was teaching them and us about the need for daily cleansing by our Savior. You see, once we trust in Jesus Christ, we're clean. That's the message he he gives. We are saved. Christ is in us, and we are in Christ. That's never going to change. Hallelujah. 
And yet, when we look at our lives, we still mess up sometimes as we walk around in this messy and fallen world, don't we? We have good days and we have bad days. Some days we have really bad days. This is one of the frustrations of Christian life, right? We think we're, okay, we're new creations in Christ. Shouldn't have to deal with sin anymore in my life. And yet, at times, often several times a day, the old creation rears its head and we sin. Paul calls him the old man as Paul, Paul cries out in Scripture, right? He struggles too. I do the things I don't want to do. Right? We all struggle with this as Christians. Maybe we yell at our kids or we insult our spouse or we curse about work or we say something nasty about someone who cuts us off in traffic, whatever it is. We remain people who are prone to sin even after we've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And, and that, I think, is the main point Jesus is making with this foot washing. That even for Christians, there is a need for daily cleansing to wash away the yucky stuff we step in. And so once again, we don't clean our own feet. Christ provides that cleansing, just as he cleansed the dirty feet of his disciples. And so Christ, you know, think about Christ's model prayer to us, our daily prayer where we are supposed to ask God to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, right? He wouldn't have included that in the daily prayer if he didn't understand. We needed some daily forgiveness. Some daily foot washing. When we fail, we will. Part of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that's not the end of our journey as Christ followers. The extraordinary grace of God that is offered to us through faith in Jesus Christ includes the daily cleansing that we each desperately need. Fast forward two verses from what I read you recently. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 assures us, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what Jesus was demonstrating that night as He washes the daily grime off the feet of those whom He loved to the end. My friends, Jesus loves you to the end just as he loved his disciples to the end. So, so no matter what you have gotten yourself into or what you get yourself into, if you turn to him and ask forgiveness for whatever sins you've committed, he will wash that grime off your feet. He will clean you up as good as new. This leads us into the final section of the passage passage that brings together both the literal, physical, and the spiritual symbolic, as Jesus drives home a very practical point about what he has done and encourages us to embrace the blessing of the servant. Now, Jesus is very clear, very clear, that the grimy, disgusting, degrading, smelly thing that he just did was an explicit example of humble, unpleasant service we should imitate. If Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, can do something like this, then we as his followers have to be prepared to do the same sort of work. Right? You do not need advanced courses in theology to understand verses 13 to 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you.
We are not better than Jesus. And so if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you need to be prepared to do the menial and the manual, the humble and the anonymous, the difficult, the painful and the sorrowful. Verse 16, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So, so the question that we need to wrestle with is, is there some task that you, that I, that we have been reluctant to roll up our sleeves and do for Jesus? Right? Is there something you should be doing to serve others that you have avoided? Maybe because you don't want to get involved or or because you don't want to be inconvenienced, or because it's messy and, 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 and exhausting physically or emotionally? If so, we need to do what Jesus is calling us to do. You need to do what Jesus is calling you to do. Walk the extra miles. Do the extra work. Serve others as Jesus served His disciples. But the thing is, He promises extraordinary blessing that awaits when we do. He concludes, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now that doesn't mean that like money's going to fall out of the sky and a pony's going to like grow in your backyard, but blessing of God is not like that. But we are assured of the blessing that as we obey the example and instruction of our Savior, we will be blessed. There's no joy like the joy of life in Christ, of serving one another in God's will. There is no experience like being in the will of God. So roll up your sleeves and grab a hold of the joy. That is the call of Jesus. Paul tells us to develop a mind that's just like Christ. What an amazing thing, right? That we can actually develop a mind like Jesus, full of humility and love for others. As we do this, we experience more and more the presence of God. As he writes to the Philippian church, Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There is such extraordinary blessing that awaits when we serve God's kingdom, not for the applause of others, but out of a deep desire to share in the mind of Christ and to one day hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, this passage is so very challenging to us. All right, on the surface, we always love this story. What a great Savior, we have in Jesus that He washes us. And He is a great Savior, for He washes us, Lord. And we are so thankful for the, the washing away of our sin, Lord, through faith in Jesus Christ. But this passage is here to challenge us. Jesus Himself challenges us, Lord, to follow this example, to get messy and dirty, to set aside our dignity because we know that your spirit lives within us. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help us to be faithful to this call.
that we would indeed become a people who love to serve others in your name and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. In a moment, we will be gathering to celebrate yet more of Christ's humble sacrifice for us. For this meal that began with the foot washing will end with the breaking of bread, the establishment of what we know as the Lord's Supper, a time in which we gather as a body in unity and love to proclaim the sacrificial death of our Savior. And so as we worship in song, prepare your hearts to gather at the table. Take time, as Paul says, to discern the body, to recognize all those around you, that we are one body in Christ. Let us worship.